You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. I'm your host, Professor Barry McCarty. Today on Preaching Source, Dr. Matthew McKellar, member of our preaching school faculty at Southwestern, is going to talk to us about masterful sermon illustrations. Welcome, Dr. McKellar. Thank you. Great to be here. Uh, here's a question. I, as I watch contemporary preaching, uh, I, I see people all over the map. You see some preachers who just, it's illustration after illustration. And then I've even noticed a trend, uh, almost an illustrationless sermons or uh, preachers who minimize illustrations. Uh, so help us out here. Are, are illustrations necessary? Are they a necessary component of a sermon? Well, I think your observation is interesting, Dr. McCarty. I would say, first of all, that illustrations, I believe, are necessary in preaching in any age, any generation. But I would agree with you today as I survey the landscape of preaching. In a lot of cases, I hear preachers, and there's very little exposition of the text, uh, like three or four minutes, and then there's 25 or 30 minutes of, uh, it's a string of anecdotes, it's a string of illustrations. And I would say that's not appropriate. On the other hand, uh, there are some who would say, look, I'm just going to focus on on preaching through the text. I don't need illustration, and I don't think that's an appropriate conclusion uh, either. I think the goal of an illustration is to call attention to what's in the text. And um, I remember reading a, a lecture by Robert Louis Dabney, and he, he wrote about the fact that, and spoke about the fact that whether it's verbally or in writing, unremitting intensity is uh, neither natural or appropriate. That is to stay at the same level. So what I'm saying is if I'm preaching a sermon and I'm, I'm really hammering away in my explanation portion, I'm really explaining what's in this text, that's pretty intense. And if I keep that up for an extended period of time through the sermon, uh, then there is a distinct possibility that my hearers are going to lose their focus or at least uh, lessen their own intensity of auditing the sermon. And so, therefore, I think illustrations can be helpful uh, for being a change of pace. Uh, it's as if the preacher uh, slows down, steps back a little bit, and then sheds light on the text uh, through an illustration that's absolutely on target. I might also add, I've known a number of preachers who just can't resist telling a good story, whether it has anything to do with the text of Scripture. And I wouldn't recommend it. I wouldn't recommend that, though it is a common and regular temptation. All right. I believe it was C.H. Spurgeon who said that uh, an illustration is like a window in a house that lets in light. What, what's he talking about there? Well, you're correct. I think that's an interesting picture he paints for us. It's kind of an illustration of illustrations because I think he's on target there because if I recall that illustration or that, that statement that he made, uh, he spoke about a house with brick and mortar, and the idea was uh, that that house needs proper structure, but you also need some windows to let in light. And I think that's an apt description of what we want to do in the sermon. Now today, often sermons are all glass and no brick. Or, as we spoke about earlier, a guy can use little or no illustration and his sermon becomes a, a brick house without any windows to let in any light. So I would say this, Dr. McCarty, I think illustrations should... Uh, point to the text, and they should be subordinated 
to the text. They should be subordinated in the sermon to explanation. Illustration is an important functional element, but I believe it's a subordinate functional element because the vehicle that uh, the vehicle that drives the text-driven sermon is is the text. Uh, it's the text, and so we don't want anything to overshadow the text. You and I both heard sermons where. There may be ample or they may, there may be sufficient explanation, but it's almost as if this illustration uh, overshadows everything else in the sermon. I don't think that's what we ought to aim for. We ought to aim for illustrations that really and truly expand or shed light on the meaning of the text itself. And so I think that's what Spurgeon was getting at, and it's important for preachers today to keep that in mind. I don't want a sermon that's so heavy in illustrations uh, because I don't want to overshadow uh, or make a minor issue of what should be the major issue, and that is the exposition of the text. But I do need illustration because I want to shed light on that text. All right, here's the money question. All the pastors are going to pull their chairs close for this one. Where do preachers find good illustrations? Well, I think one answer to that would be, and I, I, I can hear a number of preachers saying, well, hey, that's easy. You just start with the Bible. And I, I get that. The Bible is the source of, of some great uh, illustrations. However, I think we have to be careful there because uh, in illustration, you want to shed light on the text. And uh, it's been a custom of a lot of preachers, okay, I'm preaching a New Testament text. As an illustration, I'm going to bring in this Old Testament story, you know, maybe David and Bathsheba, or maybe Joseph and his brothers, or Joseph being sold into slavery. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. I'm saying you've got to be careful when you use an Old Testament illustration not to divorce it from its original context, and not to pull it out of the Old Testament in order to make it say something that it may not originally have been saying. So I think we have to be really careful there. But I would say outside of Scripture, here, here are three good sources for illustration. Number, number one, uh, biography. You know, Dr. Patterson here at our seminary says that, that the faculty and that preachers in particular should be voracious readers. And I think uh, an important aspect of that is that we ought to be reading good biography. I mean, for us as believers, uh, I mean, to sit down and read the biography of an Adoniram Judson or a Judson Taylor, some of these uh, stellar missionaries, you know, uh, and, and to read to read the biographies of some of these great preachers, whether you're talking about a, a Charles Spurgeon, whether you go back to the life of Martin Luther, or uh, you move forward, say, to a biography on uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. Uh, there's, there's so many good sources out there. So I would say biography is a great uh, option. The next would be current events, current events. There are so many uh, media delivery points today. You know, we have we have newspapers, we have television, we have radio, we have, uh, we have uh, uh, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, I mean, we have instant information. And so I think as, as preachers, we ought to take advantage of that. Uh, and regularly, uh, daily, in fact, even hourly, you can get on your phone or whatever you have as an electronic device, and you can download and access uh, the latest current events and news stories. And so I think, I think it's so easily accessible, it behooves us to take advantage of that. So I think you have biography 
and, and then you have current events, what's, what's going on. You know, I remember when I was in seminary, uh, professors would say, you need to read the newspaper every day. You need to read Time magazine. Well, we don't even have to worry about that today because we have it at our fingertips. But I think the, the emphasis is still, uh, still appropriate. The third source, I would say, is, and this is a pretty broad category, but I would say history. We need to be students of history. Um, I was reading the other day a, a, a great account uh, of, a, of a Civil War battle and the actions of uh, the Confederate general uh, Leonidas Polk. And there was a story about how he conducted uh, his troops during a battle that made for a great illustration. Well, I would never have found that uh, uh, if I'd not come across it in a book, a book about Civil War history. And so I would just encourage preachers, uh, you know, you need to read voraciously. And I know you're out there thinking, well, that's great. I've got three sermons to prepare and a Bible study and funerals and weddings. And I get that. I've been there. But the bottom line is, if you're going to be a good preacher, you're going to be all that God has called you to be in the pulpit, you're going to have to spend some time reading. And so I think reading history, uh, reading the great movements in, his, in, in history, whether it's uh, early American history, European history, uh, it's absolutely critical. So history, current events, and biography. Okay. Dr. McKellar, uh, all of us have both heard and probably have used uh, illustrations that really worked uh, really clicked and made the text come alive. And then probably every preacher out there has heard and has used illustrations that, that just fell flat. They didn't get the job done. What, what is it that makes some illustrations really work and light up the text and, and others just, just fail? Two things. Number one, concreteness. And number two, connected to that, specificity. That's what I tell my students. Uh, a lot of times you'll hear in a sermon a preacher use what I call a hypothetical illustration. And you can usually know it's coming when he says something like, imagine you're walking on a seashore, or what would you do if you were suddenly faced with this situation? I'm not saying don't use those as illustrations, but you need to be aware of the fact that you're introducing that illustration and it has some real abstract qualities to it. Because the, the brain of the guy hearing that is going to process it like, okay, imagine that. Well, it's very hypothetical. May have happened, may not have happened. And so I think there's a lessening of interest there. Um, to me, it's a lot more effective when an illustration begins uh, in September of 1934. Uh, the leaders of uh, the National Socialist Party, the Nazi movement, gathered in Nuremberg for a great rally to celebrate the dawning of the thousand-year reign of Nazi superiority. I mean, I think when an illustration begins with that kind of concreteness and specificity, the listener is drawn in. So concreteness, uh, people need to be able to, to, to grasp quickly, okay, this happened in 1976 at the Olympics, or, or this happened in eight, 1892 at Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, England you know, that concreteness. And then connected to that specificity. If I were to, scri to describe for you, Dr. McCarty, uh, my, my uh, witnessing of a car accident on the interstate, I could say to you, yes, Dr. McCarty, I was driving down the road the, the road the other day, and I saw two cars collide. 
and you would probably yawn and go on about your business. But if I said to you, I was driving down and I named the highway, and I even went on to describe the make and color of the vehicles, and perhaps even the, the, the profile, at least from what I could tell of the individuals in those vehicles, I have added specificity. I've given your mind, I've given your ears something to, to build on there. And I really think that's the key to effective illustrations. If you think about the great illustrations you've heard, without fail, you would say, you know what? There's concreteness. Uh, they move beyond the abstract. I can sink my, my teeth into that, so to speak. And there's some specificity. There's some detail because the preacher has painted a verbal picture for me. That's the key to good illustration. Dr. McKellar, thank you so much for uh, what you do here at the School of Preaching, and thank you for being here with us on Preaching Source and sharing those thoughts with our listeners today. Well, thank you. It's my great privilege.